Uh, good morning, everybody. We have been uh, starting a new series about dwell, and, and what we're talking about is God dwelling with us, of that being something that matters to him. I wanted to open up by talking about one thing I think that unites every culture around the world, and that is that you're hard-pressed to find a single culture anywhere that doesn't make a giant dang thing out of a wedding. It really, every culture does that. It's a big deal. In fact, our culture makes probably a smaller deal out of it than most. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, Jews in Scripture, they would have weddings that lasted a week. And you would go to the wedding, and you'd go home and come back. It was like a conference of drinking and eating. Um, but they are, uh, they're a big deal. Uh, everybody dresses up. Uh, in our culture, bride and groom will make vows very public to our even the most private people make very public vows. And they really matter. They're, as grandiose as they are, they set up uh, uh, what is to come. I remember talking to a friend of mine. He was telling me the weirdest wedding he had ever been to. And uh, there was someone from, she was an American woman who married a man. I, I, haven't, I actually don't remember where he's from. But she, they, she had a traditional wedding from wherever he was from, and she said the vows from his culture. And one of the vows was, I will be your obedient horse, uh, which is rough. Uh, and so I, I'm a very sensitive person. I'm some tears. I'm laughing so hard at that vow. And I said, well, it mustn't have been that bad, their marriage. And he was like, actually, it really was. They got divorced eventually, but they wanted to, his mom and her were friends. And they wanted to visit and she went to the house because the woman wasn't allowed to leave the house. And he, they got there, and the guy was like, tea. And she ran, ran to the kitchen to get him tea. Uh, if I did that, I think Elena would run to the kitchen and then run back with the kitchen knife. Um, <laughs> but these vows, they mean something. I, it recently, just this weekend, Victoria was asking, why is it that the mom next door isn't there anymore? And I had to explain to her for the first time ever what divorce is. And so she asked the obvious question, are you and mom ever going to get divorced? And so I immediately answered, I, I said, well, no, because in front of grandma and grandma and opa and ama, all of our friends and family, I made a promise to your mom that we would never get divorced when we got married. And, she went, and Victoria was like, oh, okay, accepted the grandiose level of that, that it was so big that she went about her day of playing around in the front yard more. It's still her anxiety, the bigness of it, because weddings are big moments that are intended to set a pattern of the way things will go. Not every time when I declare my love for my wife do I assemble 300 of our closest friends and family. There were 300 people at my wedding. It was out of control. Um, yeah, but uh, there's patterns that are set up there. That the commitment uh, is very real. I think of this when I think of the miraculous signs that begin particularly the book of Exodus. These enormous things happen, plagues, waters dividing, miraculous transfiguration, armies being swallowed up by divinely orchestrated natural disaster. They are grandiose. They are big. At times as we're reading it, they almost feel out of sync with other miracles in Scripture. There's a lot of miracles in Scripture of healing, food multiplying, things that, that a crowd could dismiss, but the person knows happened. These are big deals. I mean, you would be a traveling caravan salesman. You show up to sell wares to those nomadic people in the desert, and there's a pillar of fire over their tabernacle. 
These are big ways, big things that are happening. You couldn't really deny them or, or wave them off. And I feel that like a wedding, God is starting big. There are certain things, certain patterns that are being set up, and it is a big deal to begin this great thing. Because in many ways, it's important to remember, Exodus is almost like the first episode of Scripture. Because the, they're all written, the first five books called the Pentateuch are written about the same time by the same person. Moses wrote all five of them. Exodus is what's happening at the time, and Genesis is written like a prequel to Exodus. It was written after the events of Exodus are taking place, written down as a way of in divine inspiration, weeding through the oral traditions of Israel and finding the truth that was in it and writing it down. And so Exodus is this great beginning. And God has been working towards this critical moment in the story for a long time of the moment when he gets to get started of revealing himself calling a people his own, and dwelling with them. It is a big starting moment, and God starts big. Grand things happen that set up patterns that we will see repeating things about God and his people. And no, God does not need to continue in such a grand pattern to reveal they hap- to, to confirm that they happened in the first place. Medal of Honor recipients don't go around, say, continuing to kill people to prove that they did it. We know they were honored for these things. People remember what people did. And so God has established who he is and continues to unveil who he is. That at this beginning, though things are so grand and so great, we are meant to look at them and consider them analyze them for the pattern that's there and find out what God is trying to say of how he would live with his people going forward. Because we're tied in with those people. New Testament says we're grafted in to those people. That their lineage is our lineage. We're tied in with them. It's the beginning of a thing that is still going on, still impacting the world, and still we are invited to be part of. Because as great as they are, We have to remember this. The greatest miracle in all of creation is that God was able to reveal himself to what he had made. That he could reveal himself and dwell with them. That is the greatest miracle. And his most shocking twist is that he wants to live with us. So we're going to get, we're going to read uh, the last few lines of Exodus. And it's everything's been building up to this moment from, from the beginning of Moses' story to calling the people out, slaves becoming nomadic people in the deserts. It all came down to building of the tabernacle. It all comes down to this moment, starting in verse 34. Then, when the tabernacle was completed, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted above the tabernacle, they would, settle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night. And in the sight of all the Israel, and this was in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. I don't believe that we often appreciate 
the eternal historic significance of that moment, just how big of a deal it was. I got a picture of the tabernacle here. You're going to have to excuse the fact that it looks like it comes out of a theology book in 1982. Like maybe Bob Ross painted that. Uh, I chose it because not many people paint it or draw it with the pillar above it, or they get too specific. This, this is like an artist, but we have no idea what it looked like. because so He just draws what appears to be a red lightsaber coming out of it. Um, but this is the beginning, a sample of a grand purpose of when God had, while his presence had filled the earth and revealed himself at times, it's almost like when you go on vacation to a place you really like, and so you just finally buy a home there. This is when God's manifest dwelling settled down in his creation. And the word tabernacle means the dwelling place or dwelling tent. This is when he builds his home, when he has an address. This is a grand and great moment in all of Scripture. And sometimes we think, I think if we forget this picture, we get into this idea that if I want to experience God, I must go and and venture far away on a pilgrimage, leave where I'm going and go somewhere very distant. And I wouldn't speak for God. I wouldn't presume to do that and to say what, it, what you're being called to to commune with the Lord. But I think it's worth bearing in mind that he came to dwell here, that he came to dwell in your life, in your living room, in your bathroom, in the cabin of your car, at the desk at work, or if you don't have a desk and you have a, you know, a real job where you're working with your hands, He's there as well. He wants to live with you, and he makes his dwelling with you. And in Israel's day, he was so attached to being with them that he chooses to move into a tent first. And that's a remarkable thing. It's almost like a picture of, of impatience, to be honest. They're on their way to their permanent dwelling. That was the point. Like, they're going to leave Egypt to go take the space they're going to live in. I, he's going to set up a temple there for certain, but he doesn't wait till they get there. He says, build the first one. It'll be mobile. You can pick it up. I'm just going to move with you wherever you go. And the tabernacle is created. In the same way that he was with the nomadic people going where they go, among all the grand images that we see is God going everywhere with his people. In Ezekiel, that, that scene again, where it's almost like the temple's on wheels and it's rolling with them. I mean, it's such a gracious picture because they've, they've been exiled for their sin and yet God pursues them in his presence. God is with you and goes where you go. That whether you go gladly or in chains, he goes with you gladly or in chains. He's with us wherever we go. And the cloud is remarkable. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that cloud today. This is the cloud that they've seen before. It's been with them before in times of flight from Egypt, in times of battle. It's showed up, but it's different now because it's sticking around all the time. God has visited. He's come in and out. But at this point, this amazing miracle happens. The pillar of smoke and fire is amazing, but a pillar of smoke and fire that never goes away is remarkable. And it's a sign of his presence you know, last week we talked about God's manifest, that, that, that shaking, changing, specific presence, those moments he steps into. And this is a great second part of that. The other side of the coin, God's presence that is just ongoing and everywhere. 
You know, there was a moment when I felt um, that my relationship with Elena could go the distance. And it was a moment to where we were, uh, it was a Sunday, it was, we had, you know, we were dating at the time, and when you're dating, you're always trying to be fun and interesting, you know, then you never feel more pressure than on your first date to be fun and interesting, and that tapers off over time, and there was a day where we just, we both grabbed a book, and we didn't say a word to each other, and we were sitting on the couch, and we both just read a book, not saying a word to each other, and I, I'm not kidding, at that moment, I thought, oh, I could, I could grow old with this person. They'd be so at ease, so comfortable that you can just simply be and not have to try to entertain each other. It was a turning point, I felt, of being comfortable and at ease. Coexistence comes with that daily life of just being with someone, and there's an ease about it, a comfort of living with them. I tell you, I behave at my parents' house in a way that would be rather rude anywhere else. I hardly ever announce that I'm coming over. Sometimes I'll come in, I don't know where they are. I don't seek them out to say hi first. I'll just go and throw my stuff down, open up the fridge, see what's in there. It's like I live there. I used to live there. I'm comfortable and I'm at ease there. But nobody minds and it's not considered rude because of the coexistence, the cohabitation, the comfort with one another. You know, there's a law in Exodus that governed the way that you would remove human excrement from the camp the holes you would dig, the things you would haul it out with. And for years, they did that under the pillar of fire and smoke that was over that. Then in that presence, they did everything. The mundane, the silly, the little. God's presence touched every area of life, even the natural ones. God was part of a highly religious corner of their life where they would go and make sacrifices annually, but his presence at this point lives with them palpably, visibly, powerfully in all areas. And it gives him shelter from the heat. I mean, imagine this picture for a moment of this cloud that settles over them. The, the deserts they are going through are famously arid and hot. And so to have this cloud that was over them this break from it. Have you ever, ever been in your yard and you're working in the summertime and the cloud comes for just a moment and it's just, you, just, you, could, be in that, you could be outside 10 times longer now. It feels amazing. For the 30 seconds it's on you, then it's gone. But the, the comfort of that. Do we often think about that this, this cloud that would descend over people brought such a similar comfort to them? That just being there brought a cooling presence of his comfort. It was always there, trailing out of his house. Through thick and thin, this presence is graciously with them. And that's the thing that's remarkable. It doesn't slip in and out, doesn't go back and forth, but dwells with them. And the cloud is a symbol that the king is in residence. They do this at Buckingham Palace. If you go to Buckingham Palace, you know the queen, or king now, right? Yeah, so you'd know the king is in if the flag is up. If the flag is not up, he's at Balmoral or one of the other places they go to. But if he's in Buckingham Palace, the, cl- the, the flag is up. And in a similar way, this cloud is this grand flag. The king is in residence. He is with us. Because you got to remember this. He's not in the cloud. He's, he's in the tabernacle. And the cloud is a symbol. And they get a picture, a symbol, a reminder 
that even if they can't themselves go into the tabernacle, the Lord is with them. And so we get to John. I want to read uh, something that continues to reference this later on. Christ, the one that comes to bring this temple into our lives in a grander way. On the evening of that first day of the week, this is after the death and resurrection, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with, uh, and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This pouring out of the Spirit, it's one of the, it's one of the four square things that we believe in. Jesus, as you see the little paintings, that's, one, that's actually what four square means if you didn't know. It's the four things that we say mark who Jesus is. And one of them is the yellow one here, baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That one of the things our Messiah does is that after he accomplished his work, he pours out the Spirit of God on all of his people, and it fills them, dwells with them, is part of who they are speaking with them and leading them and guiding them to such a degree that they could, they could hear what the Lord was saying and declare the forgiveness that God was putting over people. Not to say humans have literally the authority to forgive sins, but it is a, it's a communion with God and that they could say, I feel the Lord's telling you that you are forgiven for that. An intimacy so close, dwelling so close. To say that the, Jesus came to die for our sins is selling it short, to be honest. That, that isn't the point of the gospel. I mean, even think of John 3, 16, when it says that he, that he came and he died, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, dwelling with God. Christ came to dwell with his people, to make dwelling possible, and dealing with sin was the preamble to make it possible. This is the point. This is the purpose. Too often, I think we dilute the gospel into making it sin-oriented, that it is a a faith and a truth of, of changing behavior. But it is so much greater than that. It goes far beyond that. The point of the gospel is that God wants to dwell with his people, and he clears the barriers with the Son to do so. I'll tell you what, if we make the gospel all about how much it can change our behavior, we're setting ourselves up for doubt. Because people can change their behaviors through counseling, through support groups, through all of these ways, and they'll say, it changed my life just like you said, so why should I follow your God? Because God came to not just change, but to forgive, to close a distance so that you could dwell with him, and no one else can do that. You have to believe in the right gospel, the true one, because if you get it diluted with just, it's the world's greatest therapy you've ever heard of, it will always lead you into doubt. Just think of a thought experience. Think of Moses. What if he and Aaron believed our faith is all about the God of transfiguration? That's the whole thing. He can turn one thing into something else. And they go before Pharaoh and they throw the staff down like they were told to. It becomes a snake and they go, look at that. That's our God. And then by the power of the demonic kingdom, the priest, if you remember the story, they throw their staffs down and they become snakes as well. And now they're just stuck. And like, we thought that only God could do that. And you're saying that you can do it too. 
but they're not deterred and they're not discouraged when that happens because their God isn't the God of transfiguration. He's the God who wants to dwell with them. And that is something that the powers behind the Egyptian gods could not do. God wants to dwell. It isn't about just changing one person to a new thing. Other things can do that and they can counterfeit it and it will look just as real. Christ did come to die for our sins so that we could dwell with the Lord that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we see Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life to what? To the Father. And no one gets to him through through any other way but through him. Jesus comes to make dwelling happen. And just as that cloud was stuck on the Israelites, presiding over, giving cooling shade, giving direction, telling them when to, we're going to, we're leaving everyone today. Everyone pull up your stakes. We're going. And stop, I know you want to leave today, but I'm not leaving, so you keep resting. He directed and guided them. He was with them. He brought them cooling presence, and he was just stuck on them. Did not leave, didn't come back, dwelled with them permanently. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. To come and to close the gap, to end it, to bring the kind of full spiritual redemption the tabernacle could only dream of bringing through its sacrifices to bring us into God that we could dwell with him. And he breathes that spirit into his new tabernacles, you. Jesus is the fulfillment. There's this amazing thing in John 1. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word uh, dwelt is the same one used when the Old Testament is translated for Greek for tabernacle meaning you could translate John 1 as saying, and then the word became flesh, referring to Jesus, and tabernacled among us. Was the mobile tent, the presence of God, the touch point. The outpouring of God's spirit is spoken of in Joel 2.28, that he would pour out his spirit in those latter days, referring to after the Messiah has done his work, and that everybody would be filled with the spirit of God. We read a passage today about the Shekinah glory, uh, which is what they called that, lightsaber, <laughs> but the, in the presence of God filling this temple. And yet we live at a time when the gap is closed and that presence fills you. I said earlier that uh, the greatest miracle is Christ revealed. That even though we read these and we see there are so many grand things in Exodus, so huge, really big miracles, like world-breaking miracles that, that blow your mind were just symbols that pointed a greater miracle with you, that God dwells within you. For them, they had the, the knowledge that his presence is right there. They had a cloud that would be a symbol, but there is no symbol for you, and the presence is right here. This is a grand change in our lives that God's presence that was stuck on them is stuck on you. The pattern continues that you are the dwelling place and you are what the Lord has filled. That what's fulfilled in us is greater than even what we're reading about in Exodus today. All an Israelite really needed to know if God was with them was to look up. Look up and see if the cloud was still there. And for you, honestly, it's not so dissimilar. If you want to know if God is with you, then look up. They had to listen to Moses for what was being said in the tent. 
but you communion with but you have a communion with God directly, a relationship with God directly. And he inhabits your life, both natural and supernatural, the little things, the dumb things to the highest. Not every part of your relationship with God is intense. He's also the God of humor, of peace, of acceptance of the way things are, satisfaction in the lives that we have. He's the God of work and fulfillment. He's in your workplace, in your study time. He's with you and you just can't think anymore and all you can simply do is veg. So be with the God who came to be with you and understand that your dwelling place with him is greater than the greatest stories that we have read. His presence is with you and the fulfillment came through Christ to put that presence in you that you could experience, listen, and know God at a deeper level. There seems to be a a lot of talk today. Do we hear God really speak within our spirit? The answer is absolutely yes. That is what changes. There was a time that if you wanted to know what God said, you had to hear it from the few people that were anointed that could actually go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. But ever since Christ closed the gap and it stopped, the dwelling begins dwelling directly with you, that you could hear God, that God wants to be in your life as a friend in the natural, supernatural, guiding and directing us, telling us when to start, stop, rest, and be at peace. So I want to pray for us today that we could have some faith to dwell with the God who chose to dwell with us. That as grand as these pictures are, those pictures were meant for those that inherit the greatest promise of the infilling of the Spirit of God breathed on you because Christ made you clean enough to receive it, clean enough to receive dwelling. It was always about the dwelling and being with us. God, I pray this morning that if we've allowed doubt, insecurity, things to separate us from feeling that we're worthy of your presence, would we remember that your presence is what it was all about? You simply wanted to close a gap to bring presence. Thank you for your son and thank you for redemption. And thank you for the spirit that rests within us now, that we receive your spirit as the tabernacle received your spirit, that our lives are covered with the symbol of your seal as theirs was in the cloud. It gives us shade from the heat. It gives us assurance that you're with us. And even though it may not feel like it in this crowded and hot desert that we live in, you're leading us to somewhere good. God, I pray that between now and then, we could just simply enjoy your presence and expand our understanding of just how much of our lives that fits into. From the highly praiseworthy moments of worshiping you to those natural everyday moments of life. Thank you, God. Amen.